The IPS Academy provides online courses from some of the best instructors out there on mental health, personal development, lifestyle, nutrition, relationships, mindfulness, improving your life quality, etc. Each course we offer has been made in collaboration with an instructor who has also been a guest here on the Inner Picture Stories podcast. Have a look to see if there's a course to your liking, read the full course descriptions and check out the thousands of positive reviews from students who have taken the course by going to innerpicturestories.com academy. With that, let's dig into the interview. Welcome to the Inner Picture Stories podcast. My name is Jelis Vaas, your host and the founder of Inner Picture Stories, the educational platform on life. I hereby invite you to come on a journey with me. In each episode, we will dive into the life of an inspiring person seeking lessons of wisdom about life and the world we live in. Answers that you can take away and use in your own life. It's true that no one ever said life would be easy, but it's also true that no one ever said you had to do it alone. So get ready and let the journey begin. The reason most people are unhappy is because they're looking outside themselves for something that's very much within us. For a lot of people, and, and for me, I didn't realize the gifts that would come from pain and from suffering. And there's nothing wrong with, with you know, fame and money and, and those things at all. It's just you got to know what your aim is and where you're coming from. This is episode 003 with award-winning author Deborah Moffitt. Hey guys, welcome. Here we are once again with another inspiring guest on the Inner Picture Stories podcast, Deborah Moffitt, with your host, none other than Yelis Vaz. Deborah is an award-winning author and her acclaimed books include Awakening the World and Garden of Bliss. She also hosts some phenomenal writing slash yoga slash music retreats, which is in fact how I met her while attending one myself. She also has her own podcast, The Finally Inspired Living, where she interviews experts. And I apologize for their names, as I will probably say one of them wrong. Experts as Isaac Tigret, the founder of the Hard Rock Cafe, GP Sears, who you might know uh, from the Ultra Spiritual Life episodes on YouTube, Chico Tartiele, the co-founder of the Five Elements, and many more. She is just a fascinating person to talk to and someone just brimming with wisdom. In this episode, we talk about creativity and being a writer, but there are some incredible life lessons we touch upon as well. Some of the things we talked about are how she made that step from working in the corporate world into the creative one, how she deals with doubts about her own work, how she maintains that self-discipline to write a book and we also talk about something that I and so many creative people at times struggle with loneliness and how to go up with it the list of interesting topics just goes on this was an incredibly interesting conversation with some really valuable lessons to learn from and to take away if you enjoyed this episode and gained some value out of it, I would very much appreciate it if you could take a minute to leave an honest review on iTunes. A lot of work goes into this episode, guys, and it would help me enormously to spread this wisdom around as much as possible. So thank you in advantage, and without further ado, please enjoy this fascinating conversation with award-winning author Deborah Moffitt. Deborah, welcome to the show, and uh, it's very good to have you here. I met you attending uh, one of your Swiss Alp writing retreats uh, or writing yoga and music retreats, which was a phenomenal experience. And you know, the location, the people, the foods, the teachers, you, Mooney, Luca, each one of you just knew your field of expertise so in-depth. And, and the combination of writing, yoga and music was just a perfect combination. Uh, because I remember when I was looking for a writing retreat and I was browsing the web, uh, yours just popped right up to me uh, as a combination just sounded so applying. And we'll definitely talk a bit more about your writing retreats further on in the interview. Uh, now, but the main subjects why I wanted to interview you for, Debra is on creativity and on writing. Uh, you're an award-winning author. Uh, you created, or you create, as I already mentioned, some incredible writing retreats. 
and you also have an own podcast called Divinely Inspired Living. So creativity is pretty much your life. So I hereby, I'm very excited to have this conversation with you and to dig within your mind, within your wisdom and, and your experience about creativity and about writing. Uh, but before we do, I, I just want to start with a couple of starting questions as a warm up. The first one being is, do you have any morning routines, uh, Deborah, that you feel contribute to your happiness? Well, first of all, Yalis, thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to be here. You have a great radio voice, of course. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> but so do you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and just for listeners who don't know, um, Yalis is a very gifted photographer and videographer, and I can't wait to see what further work you're going to do. You've got some great videos on the internet, Yalis. Thank you. Appreciate uh, that. Mm. So my morning routine. Yeah, for me, the morning routine for my creative process is really, really important. I have a very quiet morning routine. So I'm an early I'm an early bird. I don't wake up with an alarm, but generally I wake up naturally between 4.30 and 5.30. Wow. Um, of course, you know, it, it varies a little bit. Like it's, it's a little bit later in the season today because there's less sun and my body might be a little more tired. So mm -hmm. uh, I sleep a little bit later, but generally it's quite early. And then I get up and I just stay silent. So I go and I sit in meditation. I often do a lot of uh, journaling, just kind of tuning in and listening. And I will try, I, I don't try, I actually sit down and listen to what wants to come into being. And that to me is the most powerful part of the creative process. So, so much of what people have talked about in terms of creativity and writing is about how to create, but it's very much focused on the left brain structure, produce, 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 put things out there. And my process, the one that for me is the most effective and the most inspired is the one where I sit down like first thing in the morning I'm very empty I don't have any aims or objectives and I see what comes in and it's really powerful because it's it's only in that empty space it's like an empty bowl things can come in but if your mind is all full if your left brain is all full of stuff I'm going to do this I'm going to do that and you have so many things going on there's nothing inspired that can come in so it's really like a process of being empty emptying out stuff that's there if, it, if there's something in there often you know there, there are lots of agitations but first thing in the morning for me it's very quiet my mind is quiet the world is quiet you know people are not stirring around you don't have the smells of coffee um, and so a lot of stuff can come in and it's very inspired stuff and that to me is how so so many of my creative ideas and, and projects come in that's actually very interesting what you're what you're mentioning there is that um is that during journaling that you do that? Yeah. So I have I have two things. First of all, the very first thing I do is if I have any dreams, I write them down first thing because dreams are a very powerful way to tap into one's creative inspiration. And also it can bring in lots of information about things that may be coming up in terms of emotional experiences or predict things from the future, you know, people to avoid, people to make connections with. Um, so dreams are very powerful. First, the very first thing I do is wake up and make any notes that come down from my dreams. Then I sit down in quiet meditation, usually not eating or drinking. First thing, I have some water maybe, and, but then sit down in meditation. And then um, it's, more, it's not really a deep you know, meditation. It's more just being quiet and then seeing what comes in. And so the journaling is kind of just what's there. What's there first thing in the morning whenever I wake up? Interesting. I like mm -hmm. that. What do you think is uh, the cause of unhappiness in most people? Wow. <laughs> yeah, let's count on you for the big, deep question. <laughs> yeah, all right. So these were these are war startup questions, but I know I I already start maybe with uh, already quite uh, bigger subjects. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's always interesting to hear this, what people think about that. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of the most important questions that I have for myself. And also, I think it's one of the biggest questions for people in the world right now. You know, everybody in, in America, we have this sense of that we have the right to the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, the pursuit of happiness means having a job with status, getting the car, you know, getting the partner, family, house, and, and they're very materialistic concerns. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, as somebody who has had all of those things in, in one way or another and let most of them go, you know, I was a corporate executive before I started writing full time. And um, 
was making lots of money living in the French Riviera Seaview apartment, uh, you know, the French husband and <laughs> my Hermes scarves and my Yves Saint Laurent suits and, you know, <laughs> lots of jewelry. <laughs> and, you know, I had all those things. And at one point I remember being in the kitchen and I write about this in, in one of my books, Garden of Bliss. And I mention it in Awaken the World, both of which won national awards in the U.S. But I was in the kitchen in my French Riviera apartment in Antibes with a beautiful sea view. I had the view of the the harbor, the old harbor in Antibes and the old town. And in the, in the living room, you know, I had friends who were eating, um, you know, you could hear the crystal clinking and we had beautiful porcelain plates and silver. And I was in the kitchen. I had just come back from, I don't know how many days of international travel. And my reflection was, why bother? I mean, if life is only about material stuff and getting, you know, climbing higher and higher on the corporate ladder, getting more and more stuff, having more and more money in my bank account, then I really don't care. And I'd prefer to jump out the window than, than go on with it. And it was at that point where I realized that the material things were not really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And that I, I heard a voice inside of me saying, you know, don't jump out the window, Denver. Go, go find out what, what, what really is important, what matters. And that was what started my really deep spiritual pursuit. And I left the corporate world, and as you know, and started writing and, and doing my inner explorations. And it's, it's not easy, but boy, it's certainly rewarding. I'm, and I'm very content and, you know, contentment is a higher form than happiness, I would say. <laughs> That's what my teacher, one of my teachers, Satya Sai Baba, used to say is contentment is the highest form of happiness. So, you know, happiness, you have these great highs and then you have the extreme lows that comes from, you know, you've got the, the boyfriend or you've got the great relationship and then it falls apart and then you crash, you're depressed, think everything is done. And then contentment is more like this constant just knowing that when you're connected with that inner source of all that is, whatever you want to call that essence, um, that, you know, there are going to be ups and downs in life and that's okay. And it's part of it. And the contentment is still there. That, that joy about I'm alive. Everything is, it's good. Everything is okay. Even if it's not, you know, not picture book perfect. (laughs) Um, So for me, the unhappiness comes from seeking outside of oneself for things like looking at a partner to fulfill your happiness. And when you do that, you're putting your happiness in somebody else's hands Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's going (laughs) to fail (laughs) because anytime you hand over your power in that way, you're losing a piece of yourself and all that love and all that stuff is already inside of you. Or when you're saying, oh, well, I'll be happy whenever I get that book contract or I'll be happy whenever I get the big house. You know, if you put everything out there and put all your happiness on stuff that's out in, mater- in the material world, then to me, that's that's a pretty precarious way to live. But whenever, for me, my practice is like first thing in the morning, continue to come into myself and find that connection with the the core, the essence of all of life, the essence of everything that is. And that's where I managed to stay sane and peaceful, even in a world where, you know, we have wars and crazy things going on. Um, But I know that that's all temporary, but the inner part is the inner feeling, the inner connection with the peace and the bliss is always constant. It's always there. So for me, the the reason most people aren't happy is because they're looking outside themselves for something that's very much within us. Yeah, if you focus too much on materialistic things, uh, it leaves a kind of empty feeling within you. Mm-hmm. Because you're not receiving the same kind of love that you are if you're like connected with people more or doing something that you actually love doing. What would be your advice uh, to someone on how to deal with unhappiness then? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't like to give advice to people because everything, everybody is so unique and everybody is so individual that we all hear mm-hmm. for so many different purposes. Um, and we all have very many different reasons for being here. You know, some, some of us are need to work on relationships with other people in partnerships, you know, relationships in terms of romantic relationships. Some of us need to be here to work on being of service and helping other people to heal or, you know, maybe in the medical professions or whatever. So my advice to people is to go inside and to find out what resonates as truth for them. 
But it's not something, again, that you can find outside. You can only find it within you. So, you know, one of the reasons that many of our wisdom traditions, the religious traditions have failed is because we've relied on priests and people outside of us to tell us what we need to do, to try to give us codes for what to do, right? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people reject that now because it sounds false. You know, maybe it was something that was useful when we really needed strict moral codes in the past when they're, you know. Um, but now the real wisdom and the real truth is something that we find by connecting with our own conscience. But we can only hear that when we go inside to do it. And so we have to make the the quiet time to listen. So for me, the important thing is to make, you know, is is to encourage people to listen to, to make quiet time, however that is. And for me, it has to be meditation first thing in the morning. Also before I go to bed, I do it before I go to bed. But, you know, some people it's being out in nature on a regular basis. But it has to be a space where you it's quiet enough where people can actually hear that inner voice or that inner whisper, that inner subtle feeling of what feels right versus what feels like the whole world, the whole material world is trying to get you to do. Uh, definitely in this time of, uh, you know, uh, just so many things going around all the time, like on, on social media, on the internet, and we're just constantly being, uh, just the tension constantly coming to us that we're just totally not paying actually attention to who we are within us. And so uh, uh, spending time with yourself is one of the most powerful things that anyone can do. It's also one of the hardest things to do. <laughs> yeah, no, that, it is. You know, yeah, yeah. Most of us are afraid of, of really oh, yeah. facing ourselves and being with ourselves, and, and part of the process is we have to become our own best friend. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, it's it's really funny because I talk with some people and they're afraid of actually getting to know who they are, and I find that interesting because. I mean, it's logical for sure, because it's scary to actually go and really know who you are. But at the same time, I think you're just kind of focusing on on missing the uniqueness of who you are. So I, I find it just really amazing to actually go and learn who I am or to go and learn who someone else is, because it's amazing when you think that they're just one person in this whole world that ever will be like them. Well, you're such a wise soul, Yellow. You have that. You are. You have. You already have that natural yearning to, you know, to spend time with yourself and yeah. to to listen and to observe. Um, but you know, for a lot, and everybody's at different places. You know, the funny thing about on this earth right now is that people are living so many different experiences in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I read a quote recently, there's not one earth, there are many earths, <laughs> you know, because yeah. we have so many different experiences based on who we are and what we've come into the world to learn. Um, and and for, for most people, the hardest thing is really to become aware of who they are because most people, most of us have a split within us. Yeah. Mm, and you know that, yeah. And that split is, you know, who we want to appear to the world or how we want to be in the world and who we are really. And the courage comes in sitting down and saying, well, you know, can I bring those two together or do I need to let go of some of the what I'm projecting out there and pretending to be uh, or who am I really and start exploring that. And having the courage to really be that person and not be in terms of what people on the internet and social media say you're supposed to be, right? Definitely. Uh, appreciation, Deborah. What do you do to remind yourself of uh, your appreciation of life? Appreciation. Hmm. Getting out in nature is a really big one. Um, going up, like a few, few weeks ago, there was snow up on the Simnos. And so I walked up on the Simnos in the snow and the sunshine and it was quiet. And there were, you know, there were the cross country skiers out swishing by and just, there was just this feeling of brilliant radiance all around. You know, how can you not appreciate that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then small things, you know, I went to the, to the market, the Annecy market this morning and, um, you know, just looked around at what, what appealed to me for lunch day. And they have these beautiful khakis, these beautiful like persimmon, the Italian persimmon fruits. I don't know if you know those. Not and really, actually. <laughs> luscious. They're like, they're really luscious and they're sweet and gooey. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this fruit or is this? Yeah, they're khaki fruits. They're, they're khaki Italian fruits. khakis. I've never seen. They're not like the Japanese khakis. They're... I think if I have a Google, uh, yeah, if I check in on Google, I might know. But the name is not saying something to me at the moment, though. But... Well, it's it may be because it's in Italian. It's K-A-K-I. Uh, in any case, they're wonderful. They grow on trees. They're, they're they're about the size of a baseball. They're 
uh, kind of an amber color. Yeah. They're so luscious. And so I went out and I saw those this morning, went, I'm going to buy those. And then <laughs> e- eating, eating those, I had one just before we started. Oh my gosh, they're so luscious. So, you know, it's appreciating the moments and, and it's not just appreciating the good moments, but also the moments that can be uncomfortable and moments where I feel resistance. Yeah. Um, because if I don't have those moments, then I'm not going to appreciate the moments where everything is calm and beautiful and good. Uh, it's very important to, to tune into both of those sides because it's true. Yeah, you you have to know, well, you have to focus on the bad. I wouldn't say focus. I would say acknowledge. Okay. So what I try oh, yeah. to do is, you know what I mean? So when, when I have like grief that comes up about somebody who I'm missing or somebody who I've lost, then I acknowledge that it's there and then I let it f- move through my body sometimes through dance or sometimes through stretching or sometimes a meditation just comes through sometimes tears will accompany that and then i let it go so some people might consider grief negative mm-hmm. it's it only becomes negative when you block it and hold it in your body that's true that's very yeah. true yeah so it's not and i and that's when it becomes a focus and then then negative things like illness can grow around it so for me it's it's acknowledging that those things are there and then breathing into it and releasing it or moving and releasing it huh ah. Deborah, i hereby can't wait to move now to the main subjects of the show and and dive more within your mind about writing and, and about creativity and um i would like to start off with uh, the first question uh when did you know you wanted to become a writer I think I've always known since I was born. In fact, I remember back into past lives where I don't know if you believe in past lives, but I can I have flashbacks to past lives where I was working with symbols in different lifetimes in Egypt and um, I believe in anyway, different different incarnations. And so my writing in this lifetime is a result of things that were coming together then. So um, I've always known. And when I was a child, I said, you know, they, they would give me baby dolls. And I, I would say, don't bother. I'm going to give birth to books in this lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <not> babies. <laughs> yeah, you said that on the writing retreat, too. And I really liked that, that you said that. Uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's cool. Cause, uh, I always knew. Yeah, yeah, I always knew. The one thing that was interesting, though, was whenever I was 12, I had a I got a typewriter for my birthday or for Christmas or something. And I remember sitting under a tree and looking for a story to write. And I realized that I didn't have anything to write because I had no experience. <laughs> <laughs> so that was frustrating. And then I had to have many life experiences, many of them quite painful, which is, has given birth to two of my novels that, w- that I've told you about. So uh, going back a little bit in your past, uh, you used to work in the corporate worlds for, for how many years was that? Uh, gosh, I worked for, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 years. I don't know, something like that. And how did that change happen for you from working in the corporate worlds into the creative world and, and becoming a writer and doing your retreats and your podcasts? What mm-hmm. made you make that jump? Well, I always knew I was going to do it. So my philosophy was... Um, Having a creative lifestyle is not well supported by most societies, right? We don't have, there are not very many places that fund writers and help writers who mm-hmm. need to, you know, you need space and quiet to be able to write. So how am I going to create that situation for myself? So I decided to commit my my early years to putting it aside funds by working in international business mm-hmm. so I could support my writing life, which is what I've done. And so in my corporate life, there was a, a point whenever it was just complete burnout. I was traveling a lot in international business. And um, I was very fortunate because my contract came to uh, a happy end and that, that my uh, employer wanted to end the contract and proposed another job, and so they, which I didn't accept. And then so they bought out my contract. They had to pay me a fairly hefty sum of money, which I'm very happy about, which contributed also to making my writing dreams come true. Um, and so that helped. That was a, a big piece of it. And then I needed to learn the discipline. So how do you how do you write? I needed to learn the process and the discipline of it. So in those early years, right after I left the corporate world, it was a huge shift because mm-hmm. you know you you go from a nine to five left brain corporate mentality to 
you know, how do I become an inspired creative artist and writer? And we don't have guidance for that in society. So I had to learn the process by doing it. So every morning I would sit down um, and I, I met a lot of writers. I met screenwriters at the Cannes Film Festival that I attended several years as a screenwriter. I've done screenwriting as well. I got involved with, you know, writing for newspapers and magazines, very high end luxury magazines and journals. And my very first story that was published was uh, actually broadcast by BBC World Services Radio. So that to me was like a big deal. It was like six oh, yeah. months after I left, mm-hmm, six months after I left the corporate world, that story was picked up. And uh, to me, it was, a, it was just a huge sign that I was on, on the right track. So I hope that answers your question in part. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And for other listeners who also find themselves within that kind of situation of wanting to make that jump, but who are afraid of doing so, any advice you could give to them that helped you? Yeah, I I feel like you have to know yourself mm-hmm. and what your aims are, you know, and what's important to you. So if having a huge house with a very expensive car, you know, and a yacht and those things and, and you know, having a huge social status is are important to you, then you may want to think twice about leaving the corporate world or leaving your job. <laughs> Right. For, for me, writing has always been my priority. And I knew a time would come when that would happen, where I would be able to do that full time. And I downsized everything. You know, I had a beautiful two bedroom apartment on in Antibes with a view of the old port and the Carré and the Picasso Museum. And I downsized all that. I, I let go of, you know, my Louis Philippe mahogany furniture. And, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it just... To me, those things were not my priority anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I just wanted to say it's important to to really yeah know yourself and and actually what you really want in life because like you said yeah if you want um, like a big house uh, then maybe you should not actually go and pursue to be a writer because it might turn out differently than than yeah than your other job. Well, it, you know, it depends. It, it depends on, you know, everybody's situation is different. Some people are fortunate to have partners who support them in their, in their creative endeavors. Um, mine has pretty much been me on my own. Yeah, that can know, be very tough. Out. And sometimes, sometimes it is. And, you know, you have to find your own inner moral support and encouragement. Um, and, you know, also for me, my aim is not fame and tons of money are not my my main goals. My main goal with the writing is how can I be of service to other people? How can I touch other people? How can I use my writing as a way to feed other people's spirits? Because I, I love books and I pick up so many books and they're so dry and they're so empty and the words are so hurtful. They hurt me to read them. They, they just, they, 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 they pain me. And you know, that's not my aim. My aim is really, and I, and I feel everybody needs to do some soul searching about what their aims are with their creative endeavors. And there's nothing wrong with, with, you know, fame and money and, and those things at all. It's just, you got to know what your aim is and where you're coming from. So I, I think that's really important. There are many people, uh, including me at times, uh, when I want to share some, some of my work with the world, uh, many of this feeling of doubts, which is holding them back from sharing that world work as it's a piece of your, your own emotions. It's something very personal. And for some, this feeling of doubts can even hold them so much back that they won't even share their work. Uh, how do you overcome such doubts about your own work? How do you deal with those doubts? Hmm. That's a very good question, Yalis. Um, by the way, your videos are, are great and your blogs are great too. So I, I wouldn't hesitate you. <laughs> about it. You know? No, but everyone knows this kind of feeling like, ah, you know, because it's something personal and, and yeah, you know, you don't want to get hurt uh, by someone saying something bad about it because in, yeah, yeah sir. Yeah. So, the, you know, first of all, about criticism, don't take it personally. I've yeah. had criticism about my books. Everyone has. Yeah, on Amazon. And it was really, I mean, people ranting, saying really nasty, hateful things. But you could, I mean, even personal attacks, people who didn't even know me. Mm. (laughs) And it's really interesting because somebody um, recently, I don't know the person, but actually defended and said, you know, these these reviews are just mean. (laughs) And so, you know, you just have to learn that it's not personal for one. Um, There are different stages. So in your initial creative phase, you really want to protect your creative endeavors and your creative energy because when they're first being born when you're first giving birth to that 
um, those creative impulses that you're receiving and those creative urges and the desires to put things out there, um, you have to be really careful who you share them with. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's not personal, but some people are going to be envious. Some people will be jealous. Some people will actually destroy your creative work because they want to be creative but can't. They're blocked creatively. And when you're initially creating something in a creative process, it's so personal. And you open your heart and you open your emotions and you, you're pouring your soul into this creative work that you're doing. And you never know how it's going to be received. In the initial phases, often it's good, I feel for me, to, to hold back and just wait for the right timing to put it out there. And make sure that I'm feeling uh, strong enough to be able to accept whatever criticisms or, or positive things are going to be coming. You know, some people don't care um, and will just put things out there and say that it doesn't matter to them what other people say and feel. But on the other hand, people who are really creative really hope to make a difference and make a, make mm-hmm, a change definitely. and make a difference. Um, and when you're feeling solid and you're feeling strong in your creativity and your creative endeavors, then I would say just go for it. Just trust your inner voice. Trust that the universe is nudging you to, to put the, the things out there and then just do it. And, you know, maybe it's helpful for you to get encouragement from friends and support from colleagues and people around you. Um, and that's great as well. Out of the books that that you've written, Deborah, what's been the most difficult book for you to write and, and why? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> hmm. Well, the first one, Awaken a World, Awaken the World, 108 Practices to Live a Divinely Inspired Life, was difficult because it took 20 years of practice <laughs> to write to take to write a book that took Okay, years. that took some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the practices I wrote the book that I wanted to read whenever I started my spiritual path because when I started so many people were, were saying it was about religion, it's about having to do things this way and that way and my book is about Uh, practices to help you access your own inner wisdom. And nobody ever told me that that's the way it was, but that's in my experiences, in my travels, you know, in India, in to Hindu temples or, you know, um, in Thailand or, uh, you know, just all, in Egypt to, to Muslim, when I talked to Muslims in Egypt, um, all the practices are about helping people access their own inner wisdom. So that was a difficult one. The Second hardest one is one that's with my agent right now, which is The Wedding Photographer. Okay. And, and that's a novel. And that was based on some really painful emotional experiences. And it was about, um, so my, my second marriage had broke out, broken up. A man who I, who I felt deeply in love with shortly after that happened, one of children I didn't, so that broke up. And I was just left going, what the heck is this? think about relationships and partnerships. And so the wedding photographer is about that question. <laughs> what's what's this about? <laughs> um, and that was hard because emotionally it dealt with all of my suffering and pain, but I'm very happy with the results. So sometimes I think we have to, I think sometimes gifts come from the suffering, gems come from the suffering. Where do you feel actually that uh, you draw most of your inspiration from? Uh, meditation. <laughs> meditation? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's uh, and travel, meditation and travel. So they, they kind of go hand in hand. Place very much inspires my writing. So with The Girl on the Roof, which is a second novel, which is uh, with my agent right now, I have two books that are out, the two novels, my first two novels. Um, it's based in Annecy, where I'm at right now in the French Alps during World War II, during the state of siege, which was one of the worst times in this area's history. It's a very beautiful area, but it's one of the worst times from January 44 to May 44, when the Gestapo was here, of Of course, on the French-Swiss border, and and it was just ter- just terribly repressive, harsh conditions, rationing, um, total state of siege, and so that came from hearing someone here locally talk about a, a local custom um, where her grandmother told her about harsh winters when they could not bury people. And so when a loved one passed, they would wrap them in a shroud and put them on the roof on the north side so they would stay frozen until the ground thawed. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so travel and, and customs, local customs and culture really inspire my, my, my writing. And then um, a lot of the pieces come together in meditation. 
Yeah, and um, I mean, I guess you have this uh, too, but a lot of, of creative ideas uh, uh, or things that I create always come out of bad moments from my past. And mm. I try to make them, uh, you know, draw the lessons out of them or try to make something good of the, out of them. So I'm never really... I don't really mind when something bad actually happens in my life or when I feel bad because in a way I always know that I can come to use it in my future somewhere to go and put it to good use in a creative way. Because I guess you have that as well with your marriage and your past life. Uh, I guess it's a lot of it, yeah, uh, your books were inspired by a lot of that too, right? Definitely, definitely. Well, you're a wise so yellow, so you already knew all this stuff. <laughs> you already know all this stuff. <laughs> it, it's funny because I had, um, you know, society gives us many preconceived ideas. So you're supposed to have, you're supposed to grow up, have a, a, a marriage or, or a solid partnership and family and a certain type of job, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think those structures are starting to shift radically right now. Yep. Um, but for a lot of people, and, and for me, I didn't realize the gifts that would come from pain and from suffering. But those have really, like many, many authors and many creatives, those have really been the source of, they're, they're, they're jewels, they're diamonds. You know, diamonds initially are, are under pressure, right? They're under great pressure. Mm -hmm. They're just a piece of, of, of coal until they come under pressure. And then they become these incredibly beautiful, you know, stones that look like they're filled with fire. And that's how the creative process works. So if we can, if in those moments of pain and suffering, we can keep in perspective, like you, wise Yellis, do, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, you know, that these are moments that are really gems that are teaching us and will help us to grow and be creative in the future, then, you know, that's a real gift. Yeah, and it helps a lot to, to think about uh, those kind of struggles or... Uh, that kind of pain uh, to think about it in that way that you can actually you know take them out as lessons and and, and yeah uh, get something out of it for your future life um, it's hard to do when you're in it <laughs> no of course it's it definitely it's definitely hard in the moment itself but yeah you just need to remind yourself within that moment or try to remind yourself within that moment of what you eventually uh, can learn out of it um, so this question uh, is a question uh, of a friend uh, that a friend asked me uh, on the first episode here of the podcast, and I'm kind of curious about your answer. There are many creative people and well, non-creative people too, of course, who have a hard time to discipline themselves to keep working on whatever project they're working on. And you, as a writer, how do you spend months working on the same book, maintaining that discipline? How do you? Keep yourself disciplined and motivated through that process. Mm, that's a great question because you never know what's going to happen to the outcome, right? Mm -hmm, you never know yeah. what's going to happen in the end. So, um, you know, meditation, again, really fuels my creative process. So I keep listening. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I on the right path? And I just, I just know it. So that's really important. Also, it's really important to distinguish between that inner sense of knowing and inspiration and the mind that often will try to undermine us. You know, if we don't have a really strong inner sense of self-worth that's based in our spiritual life, a deep spiritual life, then to me, it's easy for the mind to undermine our creative endeavors. So it's important for me to, I mean, I, I have a very regular discipline. So I get up in the morning and I write, you know, it's, it's every morning until about, I always say noon, but it often ends up being until like one or sometimes two. It depends. And then when I'm drafting a book, I have a minimum of a thousand words a day. So I have, you know, I have a minimum and it usually ends up being more like 1500 to 2000 words, especially if I'm well into the flow of it. And, you know, as the more that I get my mind out of the way, the more the flow happens. So the, the trick is to stay in that inner state of calm connectedness with that inner space, that inner core essence, whatever you want to call it, and not allow the mind or any sense of low self-esteem to undermine. 
Um, so you just, you, you pay, you, you notice the mind maybe saying, you know, this is shit. Don't pay attention. You know, this is shit. This is really disgusting. Why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And you just have to say, okay, I hear you. Fine. You can think that. Sit, you know, just sit over in a corner and you can come back and tell me later. But right now I have to sit down and write. Hmm. <laughs> right now I have to write. And for me, the hard points come when um, my emotional life is distressed. So if I have something emotionally, my emotional life is very, very important for my creativity. So if I have something emotionally, I'm, I'm very careful about who I let into my life, especially on an intimate level, because emotionally... Um, it really affects my creative life. Uh, so I'm very, very careful about that. And so if emotionally something is off, then it can create a block for my writing flow. And I have to go go for a walk, move it out of my body, dance, whatever, get it out of my body. And then I can come, you know, sometimes it ends up with tears or I'll feel anger that'll come up around a situation that's not related to my writing, but really related to something else. And then once it releases then I can come back and sit down and calmly write. So that is really important as well uh, to the discipline. And then sometimes I notice with the work, the books, um, it's almost like I will get to uh, like the the girl on the roof is is it's a beautiful novel, but there are also some very hard scenes in it, and I just had to stay with it. It's like I didn't talk with I didn't tell anybody about it. Uh, which to me meant this is a really special book. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody about it. <laughs> um, and I just wrote, I sat down and in four months it was done. Wow. It, it, and that was getting my mind completely out of the way. It was so inspired. I could see the scenes rolling in and I, I saw the structure from the beginning in, in the three acts that I write it, wrote it in. And it was just bam, bam, bam. In four months it was done. So, uh, and that's 90,000 words. It's not a short novel. So <laughs> that's not short at all. No, <laughs> no. And that's the power of meditation. It's the power of knowing yourself. It's a power of having a clear emotional life and getting your mind out of the way. And, you know, just telling your mind, I don't care what you say. You're going to sit on the back burner. I'm going to do this. You can just wait. Do you have actually any sort of ritual or something you do before or when you're writing? As, uh, for example, uh, whenever I start writing, I always put like white noise on or any instrumental piano or guitar music and I drink a cup of tea and uh -huh. yeah, those, th those two things um, help tremendously for me too. Yeah, they're very, yeah, mine are very similar. So um, yeah, it's very similar. First thing, I will often not have music and then sometimes, depending on what I'm working on, I'll have very, very quiet, no words in my music. And I have to be careful about the moods because the moods can influence what I'm writing. Oh yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. So again, it's music and then, like you said, uh, always a glass of water, <laughs> tea. You know, I write my can I light my candles in, in the morning on my altar before I come up and just, just prepare a sacred space. I mean, that's really important. Here's a question on something that I at times struggle with. Because uh, doing creative work, creating something, it can be quite lonely at times. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for example, the vision that I have uh, of inner picture stores and what I want to create out of it. Uh, at the moment, it's just me who is building that out. It's just me who has that vision. But also when you're writing a book, it's just you. And so it is with many other creative work. It's just you who has that vision that you're trying to put out into the world and that you're trying to create to life. And this at times brings that feeling of loneliness within me. And well, it's not in a way that it's like ruining my life or something, but I do wonder how do you cope up with that feeling of loneliness? Because I'm sure you've had that feeling too. Is there any... Oh, yeah. It, well, you know, being creative is often a lonely life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and when, when I have had partners, I haven't always understood. So... Um, or, or they can be jealous of your creative work. So, you know, that's an interesting aspect of it as well. So one of the things that I do is I have, uh, you know, I have regular groups that I connect with, not about my writing work, um, because I'm very protective of that. And I've been in writing groups that have been very undermining. You know, people who don't feel confident in their own work and their own creative life will often seek to make themselves superior by shooting down your work. For sure. And, 
Yeah, and I've had that in several writing groups that I have been involved with where we share for feedback, and I just don't do it anymore. And so I'm very careful about that. But I do have like a, a regular spiritual, spiritual group that I do meditations with, um, which gives me a sense of connection. Um, you know, France is great because being in Annecy, you go out to the markets, and the French are very exterior. So you have a lot of public places, a lot of, you know, places where people come together in cafes and markets and kind of chit chat and that kind of stuff. So that, <laughs> that's one way that, that helps me to dissipate the loneliness of being a creative at, at home. Right. Um, and having my work at home. Um, so I guess those are my, those are my, uh, answers for you at the moment. I don't know if that's very helpful. Yes. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Thank you. Uh, and, I just... and then connecting, you know, connecting with people like you. We have a good connection, and then I connect with people on my podcast, and then uh, there are groups that I have that I have connections with online as well. So that helps. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to take a minute here, actually, to talk about your writing retreats. Uh, the, and the answer to the following question might come to sound very straightforward to many, but I do always wonder about it as many times there is an extra layer. Why did you start organizing these writing retreats? It was it was it was inspiration. I really felt an urge and a need for people to have a space mm-hmm. where they could connect with creativity by connecting with their own inner wisdom and inspiration. Because so much of what people learn about creativity and the creative process is left brain. And yeah. That just doesn't work. <laughs> um, it's it it's a very deadening way to be creative, and so the first inspiration was creating a space that I would have liked to have uh, yeah. found. Yeah. And so you know the very first one was in a, a converted monastery, and those were great. And then the la- the third one you were at um, the Swiss Alps retreat was in that beautiful village where I have finished two of my books. Yes. And so I wanted to share that space, which, you know, was magical. Um, it was magical. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the next one is in, um, in August, 2017 at Mont Blanc and Chamonix. And that's make a difference from where you are. And that's going to be virtual as well, which you're going to help me out with Yellis, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the video and, and, that part. My aim is how can I help help people? That's that's where where the inspiration comes from. So when I hear that there is a need and um, people, it's like I, I tune in in meditation and I feel it. I feel that people are yearning for that. And my retreats have always been very well attended. So, you know, it must be working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you hold writing retreats on different locations, uh, mostly around Europe. And I, I really have to compliment you, Deborah, as the teachers you have on your retreats are just fascinating people and, and the locations the locations you choose, well, you have an excellent skill in, in finding some of, of the most amazing locations here in Europe. Uh, because, yeah, the, the writing retreat I ent- attended to in Switzerland in uh, Sonogno was... Sonogno. Oh, yeah, so Sonogno. So. Sonogno, Italiano. <laughs> I messed that always up. So, but, it, well, it was just beyond words. It was beautiful there. And as far as I'm correct, you seem to have different teachers on each of your writing retreats. Is there anything you particularly look for within that person that determines you want to work together with them? Yeah, they have to have a spiritual connection with themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not about... There's never any aim, as you know, to convince people of anything religious or spiritual, but the teachers, the people who who come have to be in connection with their own inner wisdom and um, interconnectedness because they don't have they don't have an ego trip that way. (laughs) You know, they're not they're not coming out of ego or because they have to convince you of doing anything one way or another. It's like with Mooney, you know, Mooney um, and Luca, Luca. Yeah. who Mooney was the meditation and yoga teacher and Luca was the, the music teacher. And we have uh, Alex Inchbald, who is um, the extreme artist who is in uh, Chamonix and Mont Blanc for the summer. And the, the power of, of all those people is that their creativity comes from that deep inner source. And they're not seeking to, they're not seeking name and fame. They don't have anything to prove. It's just that they're creative and that's who they are. <laughs> 
And they want to help other people. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And they want to help other people. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And that that is a key as well. There has to be a a deep inspiration, a deep sense and yearning to be of service to other people. Because the retreats are about helping people. It's about drawing out other people's own wisdom and gifts um, and helping them to connect with that. So as you know, Yellis, and I think maybe left you a little bit frustrated sometimes, I don't tell people what to do, but I help them to find their own keys and their own inspiration, their own tools to go in no that's important it's important to kind of give them some kind of a guideline but then to just leave them to kind of find their own way Uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, could you give a little glimpse of one of your upcoming writing retreats and and tell us a bit about like how the program uh, looks and, and what people can expect yeah so the the next big one is um the the swiss out i'm sorry the french alps Make a difference from where you are retreat. And I chose Mont Blanc Chamonix because last summer I went to what's called the Sea of Ice. And it's the huge glacier at the foot of Mont Blanc. And there are signs as you go down that show you the sinking levels of the glacier. And it was so, it, it struck me so deeply how the glacier was diminishing. And the power and impact of climate change and so many things that are going on around us right now that I wanted people to be able to come and see and have that experience of seeing what's going on with our climate. So that's part of the reason I I chose this area, Chamonix and Mont Blanc. And so for this retreat, it's inspiration by going in and connecting with your inner self and then considering through using writing as a tool for self-discovery and doing often doing like 45 minute short writing sessions, which are focused uh, guided writing sessions. So you can begin to explore what's important to you and maybe how you can make a difference in the world right now. So that's the aim of it. The, the whole idea of make a difference from where you are is about encouraging people to feel empowered because so many people feel like they have no power. We have no power to make a difference in terms of the climate, but that's not true. The retreat will be around um, encouraging people to go inside and connect with their inner wisdom and their inner guidance, which everybody has. Connect with their intuition to reflect on, um, you know, in their communities, are there something, is there something they can do at home to make a difference? Is there is writing their way of making a difference? Um, and how can they put that into action? Um, we're also doing the virtual side of that, which I've asked you to help me with, Yellis, mm-hmm. um, where people can participate virtually and go into these places and see the the shrinking glacier live, hopefully, while, while we're doing it. Hopefully, the, the technology will allow that. And then also go up to the Aiguille de Midi, which is this beautiful, it's almost 4,000 meters, um, and step into the void. There's this glass box that you can step oh, yeah. into. <laughs> I know that, yeah. <laughs> um, and also experience, you know, the extremes, because we're going to be going from the heat of the Valley of Chamonix up to the, you know, 4,000 meters where there's snow and ice in the summertime. So, um, and, and reflecting on what does it mean and what is the experience of, of being at that perspective? Can you get a perspective that's different? So we'll use writing. Um, I have a yoga teacher who will be helping us out as well, Natalie Doswald, and then Alec Inchbald, who will help us with creativity and purpose. He's very good at helping people to connect with their own purpose. Um, I also like to help people explore vision and values through writing what their vision of their future is and also know what they value because most people tap into society's values without really thinking of their own. And so this is an exercise to help people explore their own values. That's like, well, that what you just said, that, that's very good said. Uh, very true. Uh, where can people check more out about what you're writing retreats? Uh, com, D-E-B-R-A-M-O-F-F-I-T-T.com. I'll put the link down on the show notes uh, for everyone as well, uh, where they can find your uh, writing retreats. And uh, here's one final question uh, on the main subjects that I have. What does creativity personally mean for you, Deborah? It means connecting with that energy that wants to come through you and respecting it and giving it form. Debra, with that question, I already want to say thank you for, for just sharing all your wisdom of yours and your lessons on writing and creativity. And I hereby want to close the main subject and finish the interview with a couple of end questions. Okay. What do you feel your parents taught you well while you were growing up? What did they teach me well? They taught me a good sense of values, uh, things you do and things you don't do. 
that's that's the main one. Uh, what would you like your parents to have taught you differently then? Affection. Affection. Yes, I was from a family that showed no affection. So it was it was okay to use the hand to hit somebody to hurt somebody, but not for affection. Hmm. And I find that really sad. I wouldn't like other people to repeat that. Yes. Uh, do you have any personal Bible, Deborah? Oh gosh, you know somebody asked me <clears throat> if I had um, a book that I would take on a deserted island. It would be a blank book, and so I have to say <laughs> that I have to say that my blank book is probably my personal Bible because I took it in and no, I yeah. that way. <laughs> that's so good. I, you know, I don't know if that's if that's maybe what you were searching for. No, there that's many, perfect. Yeah, there are many great books that I read. <laughs> um, you know, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Um, I love Sri Ramakrishna's The Gospel of of uh, Sri Ramakrishna, I think. Um, you know, there's some great books. There's so many great books. Uh, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. But you know, my Bible has to be a blank book because then I can, I can scribble and let things come through and let things come out, and that's it. <laughs> so your personal Bible will be just an empty notebook that you can uh, fill in. <laughs> yes, I think without a blank book around, I would panic and no yeah. lines, no lines. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yes, I do not color between the lines. I do not write between the lines. I'm not. Oh. Somebody- falls in the lines <laughs> uh, here uh, I just want to these are the final uh, three questions uh, what words of wisdom what advice has helped you through your life you know I, I think of my teacher one of my teachers I've had so many teachers one of them in, in India was Satya Sai Baba and the one that, that comes up often is love all serve all and he's really the person who taught me about love and unconditional love and um my effort has always been to bring that into my writing and my workshops and everything that I do. So, you know, and it was also the, the logo that Isaac Tigret of the founder of the Hard Rock Cafe used for the Hard Rock Cafe that he found in India as well. Who I oh, really? Mm-hmm. So love all, serve all. That has to be it. And that's Sai Baba. And what does it mean for you to stay uh, connected with the world? And, and how do you stay connected? Uh, is it, for example, to traveling or being in nature? You know, we almost can't not be connected right now. You know, even if you want to go up to a cave and be a hermit, we're we're connected in thoughts to everything. I hear people's thoughts. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 not um, it's almost not be impossible not to be connected. So um, to stay connected, um, I use social media. Uh, I do that within reason because I think sometimes people can go. Uh, you know, it's easy sometimes to get drawn out of the, drawn too much into that. So social media, um, also, you know, staying connected with people in my, uh, my meditation group is really important. And yes, you know, staying connected with people like you and, and other people who just kind of regularly in my experience. Mm-hmm. So, uh, before I, uh, ask the final question here, where can people find and connect with you, Deborah? Uh, Deborah Moffat at, at DebraMoffitt.com, www.debra, D-E-B-R-A, Moffitt, M-O-F-F-I-T-T.com. Um, and that's the best way you can find out about my retreats, workshops, um, <clears throat> my blogs, my latest interviews on and podcast. Perfect. Uh, so for so the final question here, from everything that you've seen, uh, experienced, lived and learned in your life, what is the one thing you know to be true? Love is... <sighs> It's it's like regardless of what happens, <laughs> love that energy is, and whether we can open up our awareness and being enough to experience it is another question. So part of my meditation practice always takes me back to that place of love, and love is energy. It's not, you know, a lot of people think it's it can be manifested as romantic expression or you know love of a mother for a child but love the all pure love is uh, is energy thank you deborah it was a real pleasure having you in the show uh, so thank you so much for for sharing all this amazing wisdom of yours thank you yes i look forward to seeing also experiences you're going to have and what you're going to be sharing with us in the future as well thank you thank you thank you and uh, i'm i'm excited about your upcoming books uh Is there actually an, uh, any book that you could recommend for any listeners, a book from you that you can highly recommend them to check out? Well, I have three books. My 
first two books won awards, Awaken the World, 108 Practices to Live a Divinely Inspired Life, and Garden of Bliss, they, they both won, between them they won three awards, and then I have a book of short stories which is called Riviera Stories, and it's about my experiences of living on the Riviera, um, but of course fictional, and, and they're not about me, but they're different characters and, and expressions of, of things that I saw on the Riviera, but all, always, they're about all these people who have seen all this material wealth, like on the French Riviera, and they're just getting to the point where they realize there has to be something more. So that is the underlying theme of the whole book. There are 12 interconnected stories, and it's what is that something more that's beyond the wealth, the extreme wealth of the Riviera. Beautiful. I'll put them in the show notes for everyone to check out. And uh, Deborah, once again, thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you, Yelis. It's been a pleasure. And there we have it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did interviewing Deborah. Definitely have a look at her writing slash yoga slash music retreats. They are quite an experience. Show notes about everything that we talked about can easily be found by going to innerpicturestories.com slash podcast. Simply type Deborah in the search bar and this episode will pop right up. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, etc. Help spread this wisdom around. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it and gained lessons and value from it. And with that, I salute you and hope to see you again here on the Inner Picture Stories podcast. This is Yelis Fass signing off. Until next time, guys.